0: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. In 1996, Carrie Struggs was the hero of the women's gymnastics team. It'd come down to the final event for the team, and the Russians had the edge. The final event was the vault. And upon this event, the American that would go just before her fell twice. The only hope for America would be Carrie. Carrie was already injured. As she ran that 82-foot runway, she gave her all. And when she landed the first vault jump attempt, you could tell as she gave way to her foot, and put her hands in the air. She was in great pain. As she went back for her second attempt, her coach came over to her because she was limping badly. He somewhat seemed to be encouraging her, maybe not to actually make the second attempt. But yet, she went ahead and she did it. This is how one reported on that event. Racked with pain, she made one final run down the runway. She did a cartwheel off the vault, landed on the springboard, sprang onto the horse, did a single twist, and landed full force on both feet. But the pain of two additional torn ligaments in her ankle caused her to momentarily falter. Then she straightened up, balanced on her right foot, lifted both hands in triumph, and with tears coursing down her face, won the gold. And then she fell to the floor, rocking with pain as her coach came and carried her to the podium to receive her gold medal. When she was asked why, in the condition she was in, that she would ever have tried to make that second attempt, she said this, I knew that if I didn't do the vault, we weren't going to win the gold. And all the hard work the whole team had put into it would be for nothing. She became a national sports hero after that event. Visiting the president, almost all of the American talk shows, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, on the cereal box of Wheaties, all because she finished courageously. You know, Ecclesiastes talks about it's not all about the swiftest and the strongest. And Paul reminds us over and over, it's about the ones who finish. When I originally thought about this series of the joy of the Lord that we would run throughout the year of about 10 to 12 lessons, I simply went through the Bible and I began looking at all the passages that dealt with the joy of the Lord. And so either last December or either over in January... I found this passage in Acts the 20th chapter that's just been so capably read for us that talked about finishing the race with joy. And I thought that will be the last sermon that we'll have in December. Well, because of our theme for next year, there is another passage about the joy of the Lord, many others that relate to the Scriptures. And since next year, our emphasis will be on the ancient words, we'll move things around a little bit. And and I just want to let you know, though, Today is a type of sermon that traditionally would be preached the last Sunday of the year. It's one for us to think about are we finishing? How well are we finishing? It's one to commend those of you that are faithful to God and you are finishing faithful to God, not only this year, but you're planning on finishing your life faithful to God. Paul oftentimes talked about the Christian life of being a race. And his point over and over is not about being the fastest or being the strongest. His point over and over is about finishing the race. You know, just this past week I was in a conversation that made me think about what I'll share with you briefly, but then you'll see the conclusion of this. I remember many, many Sunday mornings Tracy and I would pull out of the parking lot of where we were worshiping when... Our two oldest were both in diapers. And uh, being in a smaller church, and if you don't know the tradition of smaller churches, usually everybody has their own row. And so every family is by themselves on their own row. And, And so here, Tracy, for much of the service, would be by herself with two little ones in diapers. And... One would have to go get a diaper change, and then as she'd get back in, another one would have to go, and then one would act up, and it was just constant in and out, and constantly uh, a young mother fighting and wrestling, if you will, with two babies, and you know well what I'm talking about. And she would say, oftentimes, as we were pulling out of the parking lot, I don't know why I do it. I really don't know why I'm here. I, I didn't hear a word of the lesson today. I, I couldn't pay attention to anything. I look around to some of our mothers here that you bring your babies alone. There's some of you fathers that bring your children alone. And I want to commend you for being at the end of another year and you're finishing faithful. Because one of these days, you're going to see that child enter into their Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to be reminded of why you continue another Sunday, another year. And one of these days as a church family, we're going to see one generation move into another generation. And we're going to see your sons and daughters teaching Bible classes. And we're going to see them as deacons' wives and elders' wives and deacons and elders. And we're going to see them at faithfully raising their children. And what we're going to see is we are going to see the result of individuals that they may not have been the fastest and they may not have been the strongest, but they got up every day to do what they set their mind to do. I'm going to serve God today. Thank God for retirees that reach toward the end of the last phase of life, if you will, but yet they have no intentions of quitting. Their intention is to finish. Finish. And this morning, that's the question I want all of us to ask ourselves no matter what our age. Do you see yourself quitting or do you see yourself finishing? All of the difference of eternity weighs in the balance of how you answer that question. And so when we go to Acts, the 20th chapter, if you will, look at verse 24 again. Acts 20 and 24. And notice again as we read this and in the middle you're going to see about the race with joy, finishing the race. But you're going to see that that phrase begins with so. And and let's tie all of this together. Look again at Acts 20 and 24. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that... I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Why did he place that so there? Because he had already said two things in this one verse. He was saying, I did this, I did this, and I did these two things so that I may finish with joy is it that he did so that he could finish with joy the first thing that we see is that somewhere along the way Paul had made a decision to finish with joy and I believe that's a reference back in implication just implied there in 24 at the very beginning when he says none of these things move me Now, what are the things that he's talking about that wouldn't move him? If you still have your Bible open, you can glance back up to verse 19, and he talked about serving the Lord with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. And then if you skip down in 22 and 23, you see that in 23 the Holy Spirit testified in every city that chains and tribulations await me. And it's talking about the plotting of the Jews and the persecution that, He had endured but especially would endure in the future that he can make that statement. None of these things move me. Paul had already made the decision. He was going to follow the Lord no matter what other people said and no matter what other people did. Does it hurt your feelings when other people plot against you? When he spoke of being plotted against He said about that time period that he faced it with tears, that it was a trial and that it was tears involved. Now notice, why is he enduring this? He's enduring so that he can finish with joy. But I need to realize that the race isn't always a joyful race. That oftentimes there's trials and there's tears involved in being able to finish the race with joy. And so as I consider this, I need to realize something very important here. Making that decision to say, Lord, no matter what the persecution, no matter what the plotting of other individuals, no matter who the people or what the situation, today I commit to follow you. I'll serve you no matter what. That's a decision we need to make once. We don't need to wake up every morning to make that decision again. We need to wake up every morning to manage that decision. You know, a lot of time we talk about New Year's resolutions. And those can be very helpful as we think about how we need to discipline our lives. But friends, I ought not have to make a New Year resolution every year. I want to be faithful to God this year. I should have made that resolution whenever I decided to become a Christian. And if you haven't made that resolution yet, I would urge you to make that resolution today. That says, I'm going to be a faithful Christian. And we wake up every day, we wake up every morning to manage that. To say, what do I need to do today to be faithful to God? Please note this. We don't wake up every day to decide it. Friends, that's a hard way to live. Please do not get angry at me with this statement, but please think about how it could change your life. If last night you had to decide whether or not you were going to put your hands on the alarm clock, I just don't know if we're going to go in the morning. It's it's getting close to Christmas. We've got a lot of shopping to do. We could sleep in a little bit and then go shopping. I just don't know. What do you think? Should we go? Turn to the kid. What? Do y'all want to go in the morning? That's a miserable version of religion. That's not at all what the Lord has laid out in Christianity. Friends, I beg you to realize you're on a track that if you don't change that behavior, you won't ever finish. You'll quit. If you don't change it, I promise you, you'll quit. You have to reach a point in your faith where you say, forget that. I'm not deciding every Saturday night if God is most important in my life this week. I'm not deciding every morning, Monday morning at work am I going to lie this week? Am I going to cheat this week? I'm going to decide once and for all I'm wholly committed to God. And what a relief when we don't have to wrestle those decisions day in and day out. All we have to do then is manage the decision. The most Miserable people on earth are people who have to decide on a daily basis whether or not they want to be a Christian today. You can't know the joy of the Lord if you're lukewarm. Lukewarmness is a way that Satan pulls at the very heart of individuals, pulls them into misery as they call themselves Christians. If you haven't found that kind of life and that kind of faith, this morning I want you to think about the joy it could bring as you don't ever have to decide again where you're going to be on Wednesday night. It would be awesome. You don't ever have to decide again where you're going to be on Sunday morning or Sunday night. You don't ever have to decide again what kind of vacation you're going to take and what you're going to participate in that might be noticed by someone else. I wonder if there's going to be any Christians there. You don't ever have to worry again if the people at work accept you or reject you because you're Christianity. You're not making decisions based on that. They may accept you and they may reject you, but guess what? You don't have to make that decision anymore. You make it once and for all. After that, you leave it up to God how to be taken care of. As we see this next slide, we see a few artist renditions of what could be multiplied over and over throughout the scriptures. Can you imagine imagine Noah, after about 10 years, turning over to his wife one morning and saying, Sweetie, I just can't decide if I'm going to work on that ark again today. This is really getting old. You know, I've been working on it for 10 years, and, and I'm not even a tenth there yet. I mean... I don't know. You know, I've been wrestling with this for 10 years. I don't know. Okay, now just imagine that again. The next morning. Honey, I just don't know. I I know I've set the alarm clock and, man, I'm tired this morning. I'm thinking about maybe just quitting the ark today. But he goes ahead and works. The next morning. Honey, I don't know. Hey, it's getting harder to get the boys up. They just don't want to help me anymore. I don't know. I'm thinking about not working on the ark today. Friends, if Noah would have had the attitude of, I've got to decide every day if I'm going to serve God. Would that ark have ever been built? You know the answer is no. Somewhere along the way, he would have said, I'm tired of making this decision. I'm tired of working on it. What did he do? He made the decision to serve God long before God ever asked him to build an ark. How did Abraham put his son upon an altar and lift a knife above his son? It wasn't because at that moment he made a decision to serve God. It's because way before that moment he had made a decision to serve God, and that was simply one of the things God wanted him to do. How did Joseph, taken away from his parents at the age of 17 into a foreign land, how did he have the conviction to turn away from fornication at the time that he was being seduced by probably a beautiful and powerful woman? It wasn't because in in the heat of that moment that he made the right decision as much as he had made the decision long ago to be a faithful child of God no matter what the cost. How did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or how did Daniel, how did they find the courage to step into a fiery furnace or into a lion's den? Friends, I offer to you their decision wasn't made at the moment that a trumpet was sounded, and they had to decide, am I going to bow down and worship God or am I going to stop praying? They made the decision that they would follow God no matter what long before those occasions. Or when we think about Stephen in the New Testament and and here he is courageously preaching the truth and individuals pick up stones and he doesn't give in, he doesn't give up. But instead, he continually preaches and takes his stand with God. Do you think he made that decision fresh right then? Or do you think he was continually acting upon a decision that he had made years before that moment? Friends, I offer to you the people that finish with the Lord Are those who make that decision once? And every day is a day lived managing that decision that they have made. As we go back to our text in Acts 20th chapter, verse 24, I'd like for you to notice the second phrase. The second phrase was Nor do I count my life dear to myself. What did Paul value? Was his life preeminent? Or was Jesus Christ preeminent in his life? Well, we know Paul, and we know for Paul, placing Jesus as the highest in his life was a description of his life. And we know from reading many of Paul's writings that Paul was willing to count his life as nothing. And this is just another example where his life was nothing in order to exalt Jesus. And we say today that we value the Lord so much that He has the first and the greatest place in our life. Now here's the challenge. We understand that that's what a Christian looks like. And so when we're trying to practice that lukewarm Christianity, what becomes difficult is looking like someone where Christ is preeminent in their life when the reality is... Christ is not preeminent in our life and that too wears us out it's kind of like the first point where we have to try to make that decision every day will I serve the Lord well it also wears us out to try to act like a Christian instead of being a Christian you know sometimes I'm sure parents in an effort to do the right thing say to their children act like a Christian That's probably pure motives, but it's sending the wrong communication. Children or adults do not need to act like a Christian. We need to be Christians. You know, in the movie, The Lord of the Rings, Liv Tyler was the princess of the elves. And even though in that picture... Uh, She is on the left and her character is on the right. And you might think there's really not a lot of difference in the way she was as an actress and, and the character that she portrayed. You know, when an interview talking about her role in that movie said the difficult thing about it was every day it took her three hours to get ready. Those elf ears are made out of gelatin and they had to be put on fresh every day and it took hours. Between that and her makeup and her costume, three hours before she went to work. Living our life as a Christian carries with it great reward. Living our life acting like a Christian wears us out. People that act like Christians usually, well, number one, they're not a Christian, but number two, they're not going to finish a race they haven't begun. And so what I have to do is ask myself, am I acting in this, or have I really devoted my life wholly to God? Am I acting in this, or is that really who I am? I am wholly devoted to Jesus and that's the life I want to live. And that's the life that I want to finish. Look with me, if you will, to Philippians, the third chapter. Paul is also the author of Philippians. And in Philippians, the third chapter, I'd like for you to notice the word joy here. And, uh, and rejoicing. And I'd like for you to see what he sets in, in a type of uh, defining moments here of, of some truths. In Philippians, the third chapter, look at verse 1. Finally, finally, my brethren. Rejoice in the Lord. That's what we've been talking about off and on throughout the year. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, for me to write these things to you is not tedious, but for you it's safe. Beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. And what he's talking about primarily through that is how... Uh, Some of the Jews were really trying to bring in circumcision as the only way that a Gentile can become a Christian is to first come through the Old Testament teachings of circumcision, etc. And he's just pointing out how wrong that is that we find our rejoicing in the Lord. And notice what he says in 3 For we are the circumcision who rejoice or who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. And then as we skip down to the end of verse 8, what he's saying as he's doing all of this, that I may win Christ or that I may gain Christ. As I studied this this week, it stood out as significant that you can really define one or the other. If you're going to say in this passage, Paul, What is it to rejoice in the Lord? What is it to rejoice in Jesus Christ? And he would say, that's the same thing as have no confidence in the flesh. We have to decide, are we going to place Jesus as the preeminent one in our life or are we going to place ourselves as the preeminent one in our life? Now, when we're only acting like Christians, we've placed ourselves as the preeminent one in our life, but yet we like the religious life. Maybe it's that we grew up with that tradition and we feel comfortable with it. Maybe we feel like we need to ease a guilty conscience. Maybe we like other Christians and we want that kind of social visitation on a weekly basis. But friends, there's a lot of reasons why individuals would be religious but never be devoted to the Lord. And so I have to ask myself this morning, have I made that decision? Do I have that value system? where Jesus Christ is truly the preeminent one in my life. Now, in this text, which we don't have time to develop, Paul writes here in Philippians 3 of several things that he was, how he's a Hebrew of Hebrews and tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, and a Hebrew of Hebrews and and, uh, of the law. He was zealous, and he just went on talking about the, the things that he was. If he wanted to boast of the flesh, he could say, nobody can boast more than me. But he says, I'm willing to give all that up, in other words, as it pertains to him, and use those things only as it pertains to the glory of God. Let's go back, if you will, to our text. And let's look at this final point as we start wrapping this lesson up. Back again, look again at the beginning of 24. None of these things moved me. He made a decision that no matter what, he was going to serve the Lord. Nor do I count my life dear to myself. He had a value system where he truly believed that Jesus was the number one in his life. So, in other words, now that he has made that decision and established that value system, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. There's two things here that Paul says he wants to finish. I want to finish the race with joy and I want to finish my ministry. When we look into the scriptures on this next slide, we see, and we're just going to have to scan a couple of slides here as we finish up, but in 1 Timothy, the first chapter in verse 12 through 15, we see that Paul speaks of his ministry as being a gift from God. Who is it that finishes ministry? And who is it that... And keep in mind, the word ministry simply means service. Who is it that finishes a life serving God? And who is it that really just never really gets involved in serving God? Well... Those who make a decision that no matter what, they're going to serve God. And those who have a value system that the Lord's work is more important than any personal work they have. Do you realize the Lord's work is more important than your career? The Lord's work is more important than any work you have to do around the house. The Lord's work is more important than any vacation you will ever take. Friends, until I can honestly believe that the Lord and His kingdom is preeminent. I'm going to have a hard time finishing something that I've never started. Paul believed that the work of the church was preeminent. And he said, I want to finish that work. Not quit it, finish it. But then notice the second thing he wanted to finish. He wanted to finish the race with joy as we think about finishing the race I'd like for you to scan with me Hebrews the 12th chapter Hebrews the 12th chapter in verse 1 we see that There's a cloud of witnesses that are surrounding, and then as we go in the middle of verse 1, so we need to lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us. And notice this, let us run with endurance. That's finishing the race. Run with endurance, the race that's set before us. Well, how are we going to do it? Looking unto Jesus, He's the beginner and the finisher, the author and the finisher of our faith. "...who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who endured such hostility from sinners against Himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls." Verse 1, He says, "...run with endurance." In other words, finish it. How are we going to do that? Verse 2, "...put your eyes on Jesus." Why? He's a perfect example. He hated the shame of the cross. He hated the pain of the cross. Why did He finish? I want to remind you. Remember the seven sayings of the cross? We studied them recently. Do you remember the last thing that He said? Friends, it's not just a summary. It's a battle cry. There was a reason why the last thing Jesus said on the cross was what He said. Do you remember? It is finished. And He gave up the ghost. Brethren, we better hope that the last breath we breathe, we can whisper our Lord's words. When we pass from this earth, there's no greater, greater battle cry for a Christian to die being able to say as his Lord said, it's finished. I didn't quit. I didn't become apathetic. I didn't deny him. I didn't turn my back on him. John the 6th chapter, many of the disciples were leaving Jesus. He's looking at their backs as as they're walking off. And he turns to the other 12 and he says, Will you go with them? Peter's answer is, Lord, where would we go? We have no one else to turn to. Friends, Christian life is a race... That is an endurance race. It's a race in which we want to finish. Paul wanted to finish with joy. Some of the last few words that he ever wrote that were of inspiration, they're recorded in the Bible. You remember them well. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. Remember in verse 6, as he talked about the fact that he was ready to be offered up. And then you remember in verse 7, he says, I fought a good fight. I have finished the race. Finish the race. And then when he goes into verse 8, he says, Finally. He knew there was something at the end, at the finish. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul, oh, why did you live the way you lived? How could you put up with the Jews, your own countrymen? They're plotting to destroy you. How could you put up with the persecution? And his answer would be, none of those things can move me. I've made a decision. Paul, how were you able to succeed in your ministry? And he'd say, I didn't count my life dear to me. My value system is that Jesus is number one. Paul, what do you really want then? I just want to finish this morning I want to ask you as we look at this last slide there's no real joy in quitting or just acting like you're running the Christian race the real peace and joy comes from knowing you have made a decision to run for the Lord at any cost until you breathe your last breath The joy of the Lord The joy of the Lord Is finishing I'm thankful that The joy of the Lord is not in being the smartest I'm thankful that the joy of the Lord is not Who has the most talents I'm thankful that the joy of the Lord is not Who has made the least mistakes I'm thankful that the joy of the Lord Is Is not measured in a merit system of works. I'm thankful that the joy of the Lord is for the Lord to say, I want a relationship with you. I want to save you. And I want us to walk together through life. Don't turn your back on me. Stay with me. And when you die, We'll continue our relationship for an eternity. Friends, have you made that kind of decision? Have you placed Christ in your value system at the very top? Are you on track today to finish with joy? When everything's said and done, that's all that matters. This morning, if we can help you become a child of God, if you're a believer, willing to repent of sins, confess before men, will you be baptized to wash those sins away? Maybe you have been baptized into Christ, and somewhere along the way, you've lost the way. You've maybe turned back. Maybe you've quit. Maybe this morning, you want to make that decision. You want to make that commitment. Let's do it, no matter what the cost. The Lord will take care of us. He'll be our friend to the very end and beyond the end. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.